Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hi, my name is Gary Steingart. I'll be reading from my new novel, Super Sad True Love Story. This novel is set slightly in the future when a completely illiterate America is about to fall apart. So it's set uh, next Tuesday about then. I'll be reading from the first chapter, uh, which is narrated by Lenny Abramov. There are two lovers in this book, Lenny Abramov and Eunice Park. This is Lenny Abramov uh, writing about uh, his life. June 1st, Rome, New York. Dearest Diary, today I've made a major decision. I am never going to die. Others will die around me. They will be nullified. Nothing of their personality will remain. The light switch will be turned off. Their lives, their entirety, will be marked by glossy marble headstones bearing false summations. Her star shone brightly, never to be forgotten. He liked jazz. And then these two will be lost in a coastal flood or get hacked to pieces by some genetically modified future turkey. Don't let them tell you life's a journey. A journey is when you end up somewhere. When I take the number six train to see my social worker, that's a journey. When I beg the pilot of this rickety, united, continental, Delta American plane, currently trembling its way across the Atlantic, to turn around and head straight back to Rome and into Eunice Park's fickle arms, that's a journey. But wait, there's more, isn't there? There's our legacy. We don't die because our progeny lives on. The ritual passing of the DNA, Mama's corkscrew curls, his granddaddy's lower lip, I believe the children are our future. I'm quoting here from The Greatest Love of All by 1980s pop diva Whitney Houston, track nine of her eponymous first LP. Utter nonsense. The children are our future, only in the most narrow transitive sense. They are our future until they too perish. The song's next line, teach them well and let them lead the way, encourages an adult's relinquishing of selfhood in favor of future generations. The phrase, I live for my kids, for example, is tantamount to admitting that one will be dead shortly and that one's life, for all practical purposes, is already over. I'm gradually dying for my kids, would be more accurate. But what are our children? Lovely and fresh in their youth, blind to mortality, rolling around Eunice Park-like in the tall grass with their alabaster legs, fawns, sweet fawns, all of them, gleaming in their dreamy plasticity, at one with the outwardly simple nature of their world. And then, a brief, almost century later, drooling on some poor Mexican nursemaid in an Arizona hospice. Nullified. Did you know that each peaceful, natural death at age 81 is a tragedy without compare? Everyday people, individuals, Americans, if that makes it a little more urgent for you, fall face down on the battlefield never to get up again, never to exist again. These are complex personalities. Their cerebral cortex is shimmering with floating worlds, universes that would have floored our sheep-herding, fig-eating, analog ancestors. These folks are minor deities, vessels of love, life-givers, unsung geniuses, gods of the forge getting up at 6.15 in the morning to fire up the coffee maker, mouthing silent prayers that they will live to see the next day and the one after that and then Sarah's graduation and then nullified. But not mere dear diary, lucky diary, undeserving diary. 
From this day forward you will travel on the greatest adventure yet undertaken by a nervous average man, sixty-nine inches in height, a hundred sixty pounds in heft, with a slightly dangerous body mass index of twenty-three point nine. Why from this day forward? Because yesterday I met Eunice Park, and she will sustain me through forever. Take a long look at me, diary. What do you see? A slight man with a gray sunken battleship of a face, curious wet eyes, a giant gleaming forehead on which a dozen cavemen could have painted something nice, a sickle of a nose perched atop a tiny puckered mouth, and from the back a growing bald spot whose shape perfectly replicates the great state of Ohio, with its capital city, Columbus, marked by a deep brown mole. Slight. Slightness is my curse in every sense. A so-so body in a world where only an incredible one will do. A body at the chronological age of 39 already racked with too much LDL cholesterol, too much ACTH hormone, too much of everything that dooms the heart, sunders the liver, explodes all hope. A week ago, before Eunice gave me reason to live, you wouldn't have noticed me, diary. A week ago, I did not exist. A week ago, at a restaurant in Turin, I approached a potential client, a classically attractive high-net-worth individual. He looked up from his wintry bolito misto, looked right past me, looked back down at the boiled love-making of his seven meats and seven vegetable sauces, looked back up, looked right past me again. Ah, it is clear that for a member of upper society to even remotely notice me, I must first fire a flaming arrow into a dancing moose or be kicked in the testicles by a head of state. And yet Lenny Abramov, your humble diarist, your small non-entity, will live forever. The technology is almost here. As the Life Lovers Outreach Coordinator Grade G of the Post-Human Services Division of the Stotling Wapachung Corporation, I will be the first to partake of it. I just have to be good, and I have to believe in myself. I just have to stay off the trans fats and the hooch. I just have to drink plenty of green tea and alkalinized water and submit my genome to the right people. I will need to regrow my melting liver, replace the entire circulatory system with smart blood, and find someplace safe and warm, but not too warm, to while away the angry seasons and the holocausts. And when the earth expires as it surely must, I will leave it for a new earth, greener still, but with fewer allergens, and in the flowering of my own intelligence some million years hence, when our universe decides to fold in on itself, my personality will jump through a black hole and surf into a dimension of unthinkable wonders, where the things that sustained me on Earth 1.0, tortelle lucchese, pistachio ice cream, the early works of the velvet underground, smooth tan skin pulled over the soft baroque architecture of twenty-something buttocks, will seem as laughable and infantile as building blocks, baby formula, a game of Simon Says Do This. That's right. I am never going to die, Cairo Diario. Never, 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 never. And you can go to hell for doubting me. Yesterday was my last day in Rome. Got up around 11, Cafe Macchiato at the bar that has the best honey brioche. The neighborhood's 10-year-old anti-American kid screaming at me from his window, No global, no way! Warm cotton towel of guilt around my neck for not getting any last-minute work done. My apparat device buzzing with contacts, data, pictures, projections, maps, income, sound, fury. Yet another day of early summer wandering, the streets in charge of my destiny holding me in their oven-warm, eternal embrace. Ended up where I always ended up, by the single most beautiful building in Europe, the Pantheon. The rotunda's ideal proportions, the weight of the dome lifted above one's shoulders, suspended in air by icy mathematic precision, the oculus letting in the rain and the searing Roman sunlight, the coolness and shade that nonetheless prevail. Nothing can diminish the Pantheon. 
not the gaudy religious makeover, it's officially a church, not the inflated, down-to-their-last Euro-Americans seeking fat shelter beneath the portico, not the modern-day Italians fighting and conjoling outside, boys trying to stick it inside girls, mopeds humming beneath hairy legs, multi-generational families bursting with pimply life. No, this is one of the most glorious grave markers to a race of men ever built. When I outlive the earth and depart from its familiar womb, I will take the memory of this building with me. I will encode it with zeros and ones and broadcast it across the universe. See what primitive man has wrought. Witness his first hankerings for immortality, his discipline, his selflessness. My last Roman day, I had my macchiato. I bought some expensive deodorant, perhaps anticipating love. I took a three-hour, slightly masturbatory nap in the ridiculous glow of my sun-strangled apartment, and then at a party thrown by my friend Fabrizia, I met Eunice. Wait, wait, no. That's not exactly true. The chronology isn't right. I'm lying to you, diary. It's only page seven, and I'm already a liar. Something terrible happened before Fabrizia's party. So terrible, I don't want to write about it because I want you to be a positive diary. I went to the U.S. Embassy. It wasn't my idea to go. A friend of mine, Sandy, told me that if you spend over 250 days abroad and don't register for Welcome Back Partner, the official United States citizen reentry program, they can bust you for sedition right at JFK, send you to a so-called secure screening facility upstate, whatever that is. Now, Sandy knows everything. He works in fashion. So I decided to take his vividly expressed, highly caffeinated advice and headed for Via Veneto, where our nation's creamy palazzo of an embassy luxuriates behind a recently built moat. Not for much longer, I should say. According to Sandy, the strapped State Department just sold the whole thing to Statoil Hydro, the Norwegian state oil company. And by the time I got to Via Veneto, the enormous compounds, trees, and shrubbery were already being coaxed into tall, agnostic shapes to please their new owners. Armored moving vans ringed the perimeter, and the sound of massive document shredding could be divined from within. The consular line for the visa section was nearly empty. Only a few of the saddest, most destitute Albanians still wanted to emigrate to the United States, and that lonely number was further discouraged by a poster showing a plucky little otter in a sombrero trying to jump onto a crammed dinghy under the tagline, The boat is full, amigo! Inside an improvised security cage, an older man behind plexiglass shouted at me incomprehensibly while I waved my passport at him. A competent Filipina, indispensable in these parts, finally materialized and waved me down a cluttered hallway to a mock-up of a faded public high school classroom decked out in the whole welcome back partner motif. The Mexican otter from the Bodas Full campaign was here Americanized, sombrero replaced by red, white, and blue bandana worn around his hirsute little neck, then perched upon a goofy-looking horse. A half-dozen of my fellow citizens were seated behind their chewed-up desks, mumbling lowly into their apparati. There was an earplug lying slug dead on an empty chair and a sign reading, Insert earplug in ear. Place your apparat on desk and disable all security settings. I did as I was told. An electronic version of John Cougar Mellencamp's Pink Houses. Ain't that America something to see, baby? Twanged in my ear. And then a pixelated version of the plucky otter shuffled onto my apparat screen, carrying on his back the letters A-R-A, which dissolved into the shimmering legend, American Restoration Authority. The otter stood up on his hind legs and made a show of dusting himself off. Hi there, partner, he said, his electronic voice dripping with adorable carnivalesque. My name is Jeffrey Otter, and I bet we're just going to be friends. Feelings of loss and aloneness overwhelmed me. Hi, I said. Hi, Jeffrey. 
Hi there yourself, the otter said. Now I'm going to ask you some friendly questions for statistical purposes only. If you don't want to answer a question, just say, I don't want to answer this question. Remember, I'm here to help you. Okay then, let's start simply. What's your name and social security number? I looked around. People were urgently whispering things to their otters. Leonard or Lenny Abramov, I murmured, followed by my social security. How, Leonard or Lenny Abramov, 205-328-714. On behalf of the American Restoration Authority, I'd love to welcome you back to the new United States of America. Look out, world. There's no stopping us now. A bar from the McFadden and Whitehead disco hit, Ain't No Stopping Us Now, played loudly in my ear. Now tell me, Lenny, what made you leave our country? Work or pleasure? Work, I said. And what do you do, Leonard or Lenny Abramov? Um, indefinite life extension? You said effeminate life invention, is that right? Indefinite life extension, I said. What's your credit ranking, Leonard or Lenny, out of a total score of 1,600? 1,520? That's pretty neat. You must really know how to pinch those pennies. You have money in the bank. You work in effeminate life invention. Now, I just have to ask, are you a member of the bipartisan party? And if so, would you like to receive our new weekly apparat stream, Ain't No Stopping Us Now? It's got all sorts of great tips on readjusting to life in those United States and getting the most bang for your buck. I'm not a bipartisan, but yes, I would like to get your stream, I said, trying to be conciliatory. Okie dokie, you're on our list. Say, Leonard or Lenny, did you meet any nice foreign people during your stay abroad? Yes, I said. What kind of people? Some Italians? You said Somalians. Some Italians, I said. You said Somalians, the otter insisted. You know, Americans get lonely abroad. Happens all the time. That's why I never leave the brook where I was born. What's the point? Tell me, for statistical purposes, did you have any intimate physical relationships with any non-Americans during your stay? I stared hard at the otter, my hands shaking beneath the desk. Did everyone get this question? I didn't want to end up in an upstate secure screening facility simply because I had crawled on top of Fabrizia and tried to submerge my feelings of loneliness and inferiority inside her. Yes, I said. Just one girl. A couple of times we did it. And what was this non-American's full name? Last name first, please. I could hear one fellow sitting several desks in front of me, his square Anglo face hidden partially by a thick mane breathing Italian names into his apparat. I'm still waiting for that name, Leonard Delaney, said the otter. De Salva, Fabrizia, I whispered. You said de salva, but just then the otter froze in mid-name, and my apparat began to produce its heavy thinking noises, a wheel desperately spinning inside its hard plastic shell, its ancient circuitry completely overtaxed by the otter and his antics. The word error code ITFCGS flag appeared on the screen. I got up and went back to the security cage out front. Excuse me, I said, leaning into the mouth hole. My apparat froze. The otter stopped speaking to me. Could you send over that nice Filipino woman? The old creature manning this post crackled at me incomprehensibly, the lapels of his shirt trembling with stars and stripes. I made out the words, wait, and service representative. An hour passed in bureaucratic metronome. Movers carried out a man-sized golden statue of our nation's e pluribus unum eagle and a dining table missing three legs. Eventually, an older white woman in enormous orthopedic shoes clacked her way down the hall. She had a magnificent nose, more Roman than any proboscis ever grown along the banks of the Tiber, and the kind of pinkish oversized glasses I associate with kindness and progressive mental health. Thin lips quivered from daily contact with life, and her earlobes bore silver loops a size too large. In appearance and mien, she reminded me of Nettie Fine, 
a woman whom I hadn't seen since high school graduation. She was the first person to greet my parents at the airport after they had winged their way from Moscow to the United States four decades ago in search of dollars and God. She was their young American mama, their latkes-bearing synagogue volunteer, arranger of English lessons, bequeather of spare furniture. In fact, Nettie's husband had worked in D.C. at the State Department. In further fact, before I left for Rome, my mother told me he was stationed in a certain European capital. <gasps> Mrs. Fine, I said. Are you Nettie Fine, ma'am? Ma'am, I had been raised to worship her, but I was scared of Nettie Fine. She had seen my family at its most exposed, at its poorest and weakest. My folks literally immigrated to the States with one pair of underwear between them. But this tempered bird of a woman had shown me nothing but unconditional love, the kind of love that rushed me in waves and left me feeling weak and depleted, battling an undertow whose source I couldn't place. Her arms were soon around me, and she yelled at me for not coming to visit her sooner, and why was I so old-looking all of a sudden? But I'm almost forty, Mrs. Fine. Oh, where does the time go, Leonard? Along with other examples of happy Jewish hysteria. It turned out that she was working as a contractor for the State Department, helping out with the Welcome Back Partner program. But don't get me wrong, she said. I'm just doing customer service, answering questions, not asking them. That's all a American Restoration Authority. And then leaning toward me in a lowered voice, her artichoke breath gently strumming my face. Oh, what has happened to us, Lenny? I get reports on my desk. They make me cry. The Chinese and Europeans are going to decouple from us. I'm not sure what that means, but how good can it be? And we're going to deport all our immigrants with weak credit, and our poor boys are being massacred in Venezuela. This time, I'm afraid we're not going to pull out of it. Oh, it'll be okay, Mrs. Fine, I said. There's still only one America. And that shifty Rubenstein? Can you believe he's one of us? One of us, I said. Barely sonic whisper. A Jew! My parents actually love Rubenstein, I said, in reference to our imperious but star-crossed defense secretary. All they do is sit at home and watch Fox Liberty Prime and Fox Liberty Ultra. Mrs. Fine made a distasteful face. She had helped drag my parents into the American continuum, had taught them to gargle and wash out sweat stains, but their inbred Soviet-Jewish conservatism had ultimately repulsed her. She had known me since I was born, back when the Abramovs' mishpucha lived in Queens in a cramped garden apartment that now elicits nothing but nostalgia, but which must have been a mean and sorrowful place all the same. My father had a janitorial job out at a Long Island government laboratory, a job that kept us in spam for the first ten years of my life. My mother celebrated my birth by being promoted from clerk typist to secretary at the credit union where she bravely labored minus English language skills, and all of a sudden we were really on our way to becoming lower middle class. In those days, my parents used to drive me around in their rusted Chevrolet Malibu Classic to neighborhoods poorer than our own so that we could both laugh at the funny ragtag brown people scurrying about in their sandals and pick up important lessons about what failure could mean in America. It was after my parents told Mrs. Fine about our little slumming forays into Corona and the safer parts of Bed-Stuy that the rupture between her and my family truly began. I remember my parents looking up cruel in the English-Russian dictionary, shocked that our American mama could possibly think that of us. Tell me everything, Nettie Fine said. What have you been doing in Rome? I uh, work in the creative economy, I said proudly. Indefinite life extension. We're going to help people live forever. I'm looking for European HNWIs, that's high net worth individuals, and they're going to be our clients. We call them life lovers. Oh my, Mrs. Fine said. She clearly didn't know what the hell I was talking about. But this woman with three courteous UPenn graduated boys could only smile and encourage, smile and encourage. That certainly sounds like something, she said. It really is, I said. 
but I think I'm in a bit of trouble here. I explained to her the problem I just experienced with Welcome Back Partner. Maybe the otter thinks I hang out with Somalians, I said. What I said was, some Italians. Show me your apparat, she commanded. She raised her eyeglasses to reveal her soft early 60s wrinkles that had made her face exactly how it was meant to look since the day she was born, a comfort to all. Error code ITFCGS flag, she sighed. Oh boy, Buster, you've been flagged. But why, I shouted, what did I do? Shh, she said. Let me reset your apparat. Let's try welcome back partner again. Several attempts were made, but the same frozen otter appeared along with the error message. When did this happen, she asked. What was that thing asking you? I hesitated, feeling even more naked in front of my family's native-born savior. He asked me the name of the Italian woman I had had relations with, I said. Let's backtrack, Nettie said, ever the troubleshooter. When the otter asked you to subscribe to the ain't-no-stopping-us-now thing, did you do it? I did. Good. And what's your credit ranking? I told her. Fine, fine. I wouldn't worry. If you get stopped at JFK, just give them my contact info and tell them to get in touch with me right away. She plugged her coordinates into my apparat. When she hugged me, she could feel my knees knocking together in fear. Oh, sweetie, she said, a warm tribal tear spilling from her face onto mine. Don't worry, you'll be okay. A man like you, creative economy. I just hope your parents' credit ranking is strong. They came all the way to America. And for what? For what? But I did worry. How could I not? Flagged by some freaking otter? Jesus Christ. I instructed myself to relax, to enjoy the last 20 hours of my year-long European idol, and possibly to get very drunk off some sour red Montepulciano. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.